0: you know, when we think about healthy church, um, and again, that's been the focus, healthy church. And in 1 John, we've been talking about uh, truth, and we've been talking about the importance of truth and the truth that we, that we know and the truth that we live. And what we kind of need to understand here is that if we have a healthy church, then a healthy church, the whole idea of it is based on Absolute truth. We live in a world today that doesn't want to talk about absolute truth. They want to say, well, it's true to you, you know," but uh, that doesn't mean it's true to me. And, and they, 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 they kind of want to reject it. But what we have to understand is that this whole idea of a healthy church is, has this, this sense of absolute truth. That God does indeed exist. That Jesus did come and live the perfect life, die on the cross, and rise from the dead, so that when we call upon the name of the Lord, that we will be not just saved, but we will be, we will be changed. We'll be made new. We'll receive the Holy Spirit. We, we have to believe that the Bible is God's authoritative Word because if we're going to look for a healthy church, How how are we going to know it? Well, we're going to look in His Word. And we need to see that in His Word that God tells us how we should live and how we can be a healthy church. It's based on truth. If we don't believe any one of these things in this series, um, you it kind of makes me wonder, what are we doing here? If we don't believe that God's word is true and authoritative, you know, why do we come? Why do we listen? And we, we kind of have this struggle because as we've talked about with this series titled, The Truth We Live, it kind of goes two different ways. That if we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe that indeed, as he says, he is the way, the truth, and the life, that we're going to live constantly with how Jesus tells us to live. And yet, we work really hard not to do that. If we look at the measure of a church, when we think about what the goals of a church are, when we think about how we feel about church and why we even come to different parts you know, church or we join them, it doesn't measure up with healthy, We, it measures, it's always something, just because, you know, something's big doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because something's small doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because something, someone, you know, a church has a a lot of different programs doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because you like it doesn't mean it's healthy. And we, we can think about food. You know, just because you like the food doesn't make the food healthy. You can try to make candy as healthy as you want, other than dark chocolate, which is healthy. Other than that, you can try to make it as healthy as you want, and it's not healthy, but you like it. You can try to think deep-fried Twinkies or Oreos or ice cream or anything deep-fried is healthy, but it's not even though you like it. And, you know, some, you know, we haven't done this recently, but, you know, sometimes when we have the young adult Bible study at our house, you know, there will be, you know, different kinds of food. There will be healthy food and not-so-healthy food. And it's kind of a test. Which one's going to run out first? Unhealthy almost always wins. And so it's not enough just to say, I like it. It's not enough just to say, it seems right. If we want to know what healthy is, we need to look at the Bible because we believe the Bible is God's authoritative word and it contains absolute truth. But see, a lot of people today reject absolute truth, but they can't escape it. If you didn't believe in absolute truth, you wouldn't really be able to function in this world. You believe certain things are absolute, that they are true. It's, it, you hear it in our language. We say things like always and never and none and cannot and must be. It's, if you're gonna say that and then say you don't believe in absolute truth, you know, what are you saying? We obviously believe in that. If, if, if you tell your, you know, if you're trying to raise your child to free them from the bondages of absolute truth, right? And so you tell them um, that gravity thing. It works sometimes, but not all the time. So sometimes if you step off a 10-story building, you will plummet to the earth. But not all the time, because, you know, there really is nothing absolute. Are you going to tell your kid that? Are you going to tell your kid, sometimes, you know, if you play in the streets and a car comes and hits you, sometimes it's going to hurt. But sometimes it's, who knows, it could maybe go right through you and never bother you at all. No, you, you, you live, you have to live with something like... This is absolute, this is what happens. When, you know, one of my rules when our runners are running, especially if they're running on, you know, on, on, in the sidewalks, streets, it's everything, it's the cars always win. They always win. I've never seen a car hit a runner and, and the car lost. The car always wins. So we know this. And yet we still want to say, like, well, you know, about these other things, about these other things, about, you know, God, and about, you know, existence and purpose and all this other stuff. You know, that's... There's no absolute there. What we're really doing when we do this is we're we're trading the absolute truth of God for something else. We're either saying absolutes do exist but we can't know them. Okay, We can't know them. Which by the way is an absolute. You just said we cannot know them. But anyways you've contradicted yourself but at least you're saying they exist, we just can't know them. Sometimes the fancy word for that is agnostic. But the other thing we trade the absolute truth of God for is probably what most of us do, which is, and we never say this like explicitly, we always talk around it, but what we're really saying is, what I believe to be absolute is absolute, that's what we're really saying, which again is contradictory because in and of itself, it's an, it's an absolute statement. But that's what we ultimately do. We say what we believe. So on one hand, we'll say there is no absolute truth, but we cannot escape it. We could not otherwise function. And so this is, you know, what John is addressing 2,000 years ago. He's talking to this church And and in this church, there had been some people in the church now. Just keep that in mind. These aren't outsiders coming in and and talking about something. These are people that are in the church, but they've been influenced by something other than just Christianity. And either they had the influence before they, they came into the church or after they came into the church, but that influence is greater than than Christianity in their lives. And so they were trying to make Christianity fit with these other beliefs. And of course, they could have just said, you know, nothing's absolute. They could have just, you know, said, you you, you know, you have your interpretation, I have mine. But as we talked about last week, truth matters. And especially when it comes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And John told us that last week. He said, this matters. And we unpacked a little bit of that last week where we talked about how what you believe about Jesus tells you something about what you believe about salvation. That if you think salvation is just following the examples of Jesus and listening to his great teachings, and by the way, Jesus is a great example, and he's a great teacher. In fact, the greatest example and the greatest teacher. But if you think that's what salvation is, if that's what you think Christianity is, is just following the teachings of Jesus, or following the examples of Jesus, you don't understand what the Bible teaches about Christianity. Because, as we've said before, what the Bible fundamentally teaches about Christianity is that it is impossible for you to keep the teachings of Jesus or to follow Jesus' examples at the level you need to to be saved. It is not possible. It is impossible. The Bible teaches us that the only way it becomes possible is through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ that changes us that makes it now possible. It's otherwise not possible. And so it it matters. Truth matters. And especially the truth of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. And what these false teachers were teaching is that Jesus Christ was, was not who Jesus said he was, And he's not who the apostles had said he was. They were giving another explanation. And so we come to this text in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. In verses 4 through 6, John goes back to using this phrase, um, and he uses it multiple times throughout the letter. And it's little children. And again, he's not being demeaning to them. Remember, John is an old man. He's the last of the first generation Christians. And he's talking to these these people who are now second, third, maybe even fourth generation Christians. And he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, if we totally forgot what happened last week or if we didn't read what happened last week, then then this can be taken out of context. In fact, this verse um, has been taken out of context a lot. I know at least one person who took it out of context. It's me. Um, and probably you have too. You might have said to someone, you know, who's going through a problem and a struggle, and you might have told them, you know, he who is is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As though this is um, an expression about the power of Jesus and how the power of Jesus, uh, you know, can overcome any of your problems. The power of Jesus overcome any of your problems. But that's not what this Bible verse is talking about. Remember, if we're going to do good Bible study, we want to know what the Bible verse is about, not just take some nice little platitude that makes us feel good about ourselves and say, Jesus is powerful and he can overcome all my problems. Yes, he can. But that's not what this verse is about. And when we miss that, we actually miss the message that John is trying to communicate. It's an often misinterpreted verse. It's not about the the power. It's not about the greatness of Jesus. Instead, what has he just talked about? He's talked about that the false teachers believe something wrong about Jesus, and he keeps appealing to this. He keeps appealing to this. Throughout his letter, he says, but you know the truth and he's saying you know the truth not because you've been taught it but because you've been changed because when you hear truth and then you you know the experience of what god's spirit has done in your life you know what is true That's what Jesus did for you. That is what's greater. He says, the truth of Jesus in your life is greater than the lies the world tells about Him. He is doing something that we sometimes kind of don't want to talk about too much because it can be scary. And I'm going to tell you, it can be scary. It can be a slippery slope but he's talking about experience. He's not talking about knowledge in our heads. Yes, there is knowledge in our heads, but he's talking about experience. He's appealing to them. He says, do you know if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and Jesus did for you what he said he would do, then you have his spirit in you and you know you are not your own You know that you've been made new. You know it. You've experienced it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you really haven't experienced it, then it's just an intellectual thing. You've decided that of all the possible options, this one is the one you're going to choose, or the one that seems to make sense, or the one that you are willing to follow. You've decided that Jesus gives you, you know, the, the, the best example or, or his, he's helped you in, in, in your life through his teachings. But that's not Christianity. When I was growing up, it was very common to talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That was very common. And there was a good and bad meaning to that. The bad meaning was it was like it was an individual thing, like you get your own, I get my own, and you don't tell me anything about yours, and I won't tell you anything about yours, and you don't tell me anything about mine. We all have our little private, you know, individual relationships with God through Jesus. The correct meaning of that is that our relationship is not just to the words of Jesus, not just to the thoughts of Jesus, not just to the, the pictures He left us in history, not just to the teachings of Jesus. But when we're Christians, our relationships are to the living person of Jesus Christ. It's personal. It's personal in that way. And it's, I used to wonder, like, you know, because it was never fully explained to me, why? Why is that? Why can't we just follow his instructions? But it's because, first of all, it's impossible. And second of all, if that's really what it was, we would quickly forget Jesus and just care about his teachings. And when you forget about Jesus and you just take His teachings, you take His words out of context. You take them out of the context of a personal, living Savior. You you think that, oh, I can just take the words and Jesus basically said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's That's all I need to know. And we take them out of the personal context. It's a personal relationship. It's not a relationship to words. It's not a relationship to stone tablets. It's not a relationship to rituals. All of those things can help us and do help us. But it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's different. It's different. Because what it tells me is, I'm not doing this on my own. I'm not doing this on my own. When I'm actually honest with myself and I realize I cannot do this on my own, I know I have an advocate. I know I have a mediator. I know I have a friend. And he's going to do far more than what I could do on my own. John's appealing to the truth that they know. And as I said, that's kind of a dangerous thing. Because he could have easily said that and then they might have gone, I don't really know it. I don't I don't really know that. Actually, those false teachers, that sounded kind of cool too. Kind of like it. That sounded true. John's in some ways, could be seen as taking a risk. But he's not taking a risk. And the reason he's not taking a risk is because he believes these people that he's writing to really have been changed. And he believes it not just because he believes in God doing something supernaturally, but because he's seen it. He's seen it in their lives. He's known these people. He's talked with them. And he knows they've been changed. He's seen it. And so he can appeal to that. He can appeal to the truth that is in them. He can appeal to the work of Christ in them. And so Jesus is not just a man, not just a great example. And it's because they know They know that the truth that Jesus has placed in them, He knows that's greater than the lies that the world or the false teachers are trying to to get them to believe. You see, it's a lot easier in our world if we just want to get along, if we want to make Christianity still be effective and helpful, but just get along, it's a lot easier to believe that Jesus is just a great man that he's just a great teacher that would be awesome because people would go like oh yeah 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 we agree he he great example great teacher they'd be good with it but when you add to that that you cannot follow his teachings unless you give your life to him it's too hard That's what you close minded Christians believe. You're too much of an exclusivist. It'd be easier, but it would be wrong. You see, the lies the world tells about Jesus is not that he's terrible, but it's that he's good. In fact, that he's great but they're not allowing Him to be God. And they're not allowing Him to be Savior. They're not allowing Him to be Lord. Well, this means that if this is going to happen, that as disciples, we do need to know the difference. We, We need to know the difference between the way of the world and the way of Jesus. We need to know that difference. And we need to know it not just because of knowledge, But we need to know it because of experience. Because we have experienced the working of the Spirit in our lives, and we know. Don't get me wrong, we need knowledge. If you've not gotten anything from the years I've been here, you should know that I believe we need knowledge. That's what it means to be disciples. But we also need to know the experience, and we need to see the distinction. And we also need to know that there is some overlap. When when the world talks about what would be good, there is some overlap with what Christianity talks about what is good. And there can be some agreement. But there's this distinction. And the distinction is that if we're really going to, to follow the way of Jesus, then we love perfectly, unconditionally, all the time. And we love everyone that way. Our friends, our family, strangers, and our enemies. People we like and people we don't like. People we find comforting and people we find annoying. People who won't say anything no matter what you say and people who will not shut up. All of them. We love them all. People who may become violent. People who just kind of sit around like lumps. We love them all, perfectly, all the time. We don't live for self. We don't live for our kind. Do we love our kind? Do we love ourselves? Yes. But we love everyone else too. It's a difference. And it's a huge difference. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians even sometimes confuse this. Even in, I don't know that it still exists, but I remember growing up in the 70s and churches being competitive with each other. When I worked at um, Southwestern Seminary, I remember our, um, one of our professors got hired to be um, the dean at another seminary, another Southern Baptist seminary. And I remember I was the public relations um, news director and I remember calling the news director at the other seminary and I said, "Hey, can we do a story on you know you guys naming our professor as your dean?" And she was like, "Really? You you would do that?" And I said, "Aren't we all on the same team?" What's going on here? Just to let you know, I'm not competing with any other church in this area. There's a lot of churches, not competing with them at all. They don't, it doesn't even enter my frame of mind. I hope you're not either. I try not to compare what we're doing to what other people are doing, for better or worse. But we need to know, it's the way the world thinks. The way the world thinks is, what's in it for me? How's it helping me? How's it helping my kind? People choose churches based on what they like, their personal preference, what they get out of it. They don't choose churches based on the abundance of perfect, unconditional love and the ability to express the same to others. We need to know the difference. It's killing the witness of the church. I'm just going to be honest. Not, I'm not talking about our church in particular, although you know, we're, we're part of it. But it's killing the witness of the Christian church. When there cannot be a distinction between the way the world operates and the way that we operate. And everybody thinks that means music or that means programs or that means, you you know, organizational structure. That stuff, secondary at best. It's when we measure and gauge ourselves and our health and we feel good about ourselves based on things that the world would feel good about. I've said it, and I'll keep saying it. I care about health. And that's it. Whether we have a healthy church of 10,000 or a healthy church of 10, I don't care. I care about health. And you should too. That should be our focus. And it should be the focus of every church. The last thing that he says there, he says something that if we don't know the context, it sounds kind of, I don't know, kind of weird to us. He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Sounds kind of strange. But he's giving us this truth, and he's saying disciples need to trust their leaders are teaching truth. That if we're disciples, we need to trust that our leaders are teaching truth. He's not teaching a blind faith. In fact, you'll read in Acts about how Paul, like, he he compliments the Bereans. And he says, you know what's awesome about the Bereans? They check what I say. They go back and look at Scripture and check what I say. He's not talking about a blind faith. He's not saying you should trust your leaders because they're leaders. He's not saying that either. But what he seems to be saying, which is what he's been saying all along, is you know if you have been changed by Jesus Christ, if His Spirit is dwelling within you, if you have experienced, you know what is from God and you know that what we're telling you is from God. He's, again, connecting the knowledge, connecting the truth, connecting the words with the experience that they should be having as Christians. And he's saying, you know. If your experience is Christianity is some kind of moralism, then you're not going to know. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to accept it. If you think Jesus is just you know, a human being, you're not going to know. But he can with confidence tell these these people in this church, you know. You know. But there's another thing that John doesn't say explicitly. But but in a sense, he's kind of putting himself out there. He's putting himself there to be kind of vulnerable. Because what what he thinks, what he hopes, that the people in the church are saying, is that, John, the truth you've been speaking is also what we see in you. We see it. It's the truth in us. The truth we've been experiencing. It's the truth you're saying. And it's the truth that you're living. And if any of that goes wrong for John, people aren't going to listen. If people don't really accept the truth, if people don't really experience the truth, if people don't see Him Living out and experiencing that truth. And again, we're not talking about perfection. Remember, John has made that abundantly clear that that no one is sinless. If you claim to be sinless, you make God a, to be a liar. He's not talking about that. But he seems to be talking about this, this, this authenticity that we should have. That when I struggle, I'm not afraid to tell you that I struggle. That when I make mistakes, I'm not afraid to tell you that I make mistakes. That when we disagree, we're not afraid to disagree. Because we know that when we do this, we don't do this as people in the world do it. We do it as people who are, who are held together and united and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's different. It's not me pretending I've got it all together. It's not you doing the same. We walk together honestly. And then we get to see the power of God. You know, uh, I talk about coaching a lot because I do coach, and, 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 and I've told this before, but, but when if we ever have a runner who comes to the team and they're already good, all the other runners think they're special, like they were gifted with incredible ability to run fast over long distances. But when they see somebody, when they see somebody who the first year they came out, they weren't very good, and, and they were hurting like everybody else, and they, you know, you know couldn't run fast and struggled and, and had all the same kind of kind of doubts and everything and the pain, but they kept pushing and in a year or two, they're the best. It's encouraging to them because they got to see the process. We don't get to see the process some of you went through and even what you're going through. We just see the product. But when we live this way, when we really understand that all of us, all of us are growing, all of us are developing, we can see the truth and we can see it alive. We can see it changing us. Do you know this? Do you know this presence of the Spirit in your life? Do you know the truth? And are you living it?